Hi, my name is Jeremy Jensen, and I'm a public school educator in the Denver metro area. I'm on a quest, a quest to learn from as many educators out there as possible about the innovative approaches that are making learning authentic and meaningful. It's a very different world today than when our current education system was established, and I've been incredibly fortunate to have had opportunities to get to know some amazing educators who are working tirelessly to adapt to this new and evolving world. One common thread among these inspiring educators, I've come to find out, is their ability to balance both a passion to make progressive change with a humility and understanding that they don't have all the answers. Hence the name of this podcast, Humble Badass Educators. It's often easy to identify what's not working in our current education system, but it's a lot harder to figure out what changes really are having the most success. I invite you all to join me on this journey to hear about the secret sauce from the educators out there who are positively impacting our landscape. In fact, that's the point of this show, so that these ideas can hopefully be spread far and wide. My guest today is Robbie Makeley. Robbie is the digital learning coach in 27J, a school district just north of Denver, Colorado. She supports teachers in two schools to enhance effective technology instruction. With today's increased remote learning situation, the sense of urgency among educators to find and utilize the right tools that can still allow for building relationships and support for all learners has grown exponentially. Robbie offers advice about how educators can break down the screen and keep the emphasis on the right things, strong engagement, and effective teaching. She discusses her approach to coaching all educators regardless of their tech savviness and why she believes it's crucial to build strong connections among adults in a school setting by recognizing and celebrating expertise. It was great to talk to Robbie about her human-centered approach and to remember that so often the best answer to a problem is the most simple. Enjoy. Robbie Makeley, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me over. Thank you for being here. It has been way too long. It's been very, a very long time. I'm so excited to see you in person. I'm so excited to ask you questions, find out how you've been, what you've been up to, um, how things are going at work. And, you know, I'm excited to make that public for everybody that wants to listen to that. That's great. I'm excited to have a conversation, maybe a, a, a slightly different kind of podcast, so to speak. I might be asking you questions, Jeremy. Oh, great. I will be on my toes and ready and waiting for any sort of like twists and turns that might come. Nice. Um, Robbie, tell the listeners about yourself and what makes you a badass and where that intersects with humility. Um, I think the name of your podcast is so appropriate, right? Like, humble badass. So I'm going to change the word badass to badassery. <laughs> yeah, I think I surround myself with people who are also badass. And maybe that is one of my superpowers, is my badassery is finding others who I adore and who are able to bring out the best in others. And here's a little example of my being humble. On my drive over here, I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I should just in introduce Jeremy to so-and-so or to so-and-so because they would be so much better at this than me. 
And again, maybe that's part of my badassery is staying humble and knowing that I do have a lot to bring to the table and to the conversation. But at the same time, I surround myself with some kick-ass people who are badasses in themselves and can elevate me, I guess, to be, to have more badassery. You need to give yourself <laughs> as much credit as credit is due because you are um, truly um, one of the biggest badasses that I know in this world of digital support and understanding what it takes to, you know, heighten the technology in, in a classroom. And I'm glad that you also have a very similar mindset as I do about surrounding yourself by, by people. And I think that is really the whole precipice of this podcast is like, I've realized that, you know, there are people who are far more knowledgeable in many different areas. And I love to learn from them. And that's one of the through lines. Your first two guests were definitely humbled by the people and the relationships that they have built and that they have carried forward to um, to keep themselves moving and afloat in um, some of the their more challenging times in education. Yeah, those are the people I'm drawn to. Well, let's think about how experts and technology works, right? So if we think about tech, it is such an iterative field that there's, there's no one right way to tech ever. Um, for something that you may want your learners or your faculty to do, um, maybe like to post their learning objectives. Well, there's no one way to do that. Like some might feel more comfortable writing on a whiteboard. Some might be more comfortable putting it in a slideshow. Some might do that new fad of Bitmoji Classroom. And no way is right and no way is wrong. So I think it's humbling that you've brought me on to be an air quote expert when I, I just think there's no expert in the field of technology because it is so vast and so open. And that's also so exciting, right? Like the fact that you might bring a different approach coming from around your, you know, your using your strengths in a way, um, in a different way than maybe the person across the hallway that is going to bring their topic to the to in front of their learners. And why do you mention that? I do agree with that very much. I do feel like there, there are some times where I want more tech and there are some times where I need less tech. I need, you know, to have some things handwritten. I need the one-to-one -one personal connections with people. I need to write something down. I used to be a math teacher and so um, I think it, there's so yeah. much value in... Once a math teacher. Yeah, <laughs> always. Always a math teacher. <laughs> um, but to be able to like problem solve on paper, right? It's very mm -hmm. different than being able, than trying to translate that, that onto the computer. Like there are times and spaces that I feel low tech, uh, you know, like back to basics types of things mm -hmm. um, are super valuable, are very important. 
Um, you have a role though, you have a job that you help provide support and coaching for other people to be able to enhance their tech skills within their classrooms. Mm -hmm. Can you sort of tell the listeners about what your job is and what that looks like? For sure. So my official title is Digital Learning Coach. Um, and digital learning is not its own genre or silo or subset of learning or instruction. It's carried over in all instruction and in all forms of learning. So I think there's a couple of things that I, I want to talk about. Um, one of the reasons my job is so awesome or badass is I get to be an instructional coach and that's it. Like I get to look at instruction and I can support teachers to be their own badasses at instruction with no asterisks after it. I will never have to come to you and say, mm, on the rubric for your you know, pay increase or whatever, like it says you have to have 100% of the students doing digital anything. Mm -hmm. Like never will I have to work with a teacher to, um, in an evaluative way. Now that's not to say that teachers don't come to me and say, hey, I'm really working on differentiation because that's important to me. And it's important because this is my, my year long goal and I really want to differentiate. Hey, can you help me? differentiate using technology with my learners. And um, I think if you had to pull out why digital learning coaches can make that special sauce happen, it's because we are looked at as their peers and their equals and not their evaluators. So looping back to the first answer where we talked about how open technology is and that there's no quote, right way to do any of this. That um, with my coaching position, I get to meet people where they are and bring them where they want to be. So I'm assuming or supposing that one of your questions will be, you know, like how do you work with those teachers who self-identify as technophobes mm -hmm. or I definitely want to ask that question well maybe we'll answer it now <laughs> um i i really don't think that um a technophobe is a term that we should be using especially in, in the way that i see my support of teachers because my my job is to build people up and make themselves make them feel good about themselves and what they're doing with their learners today. So um, in my heart, do I like sometimes want to like say, no, just right click. No, right click is the right side of your mouse, <laughs> not your left side or something that I'm assuming that most people are coming to the table with. Um, but I, at the same time, I love working with those teachers who will say, 
you know, I don't really use technology that much or I'm not really strong at technology because the growth potential is enormous. But the flip of that is working with somebody like you who has a great googly background and is very googly in their own sense of the word and in their own classroom where they can manage the um, the learning management system like the Google Classroom or the Canvas or the system of delivering their content like they're already masters at technology but and I still feel like I can support you in your personal growth to bring you in a direction maybe you hadn't considered yet where you know like in one of the projects that you and I did was um, working with one limitation of Google at the time we couldn't make a Google site a template mm -hmm. where we had to have each kid make a copy of a template that we made mm -hmm. and you know like we together were banging our heads and writing feedback to Google saying hey you should really make this a feature and Google like come on this is something that you really should do mm -hmm. but it while we were working together, I'd like to think and I hope that I was able to ask you questions that maybe brought you to a place of learning in a similar vein to somebody who might be a self-declared technophobe, where a technophobe may need help embedding a hyperlink or something that we think of as fairly easy or intuitive where somebody who comes to me techie can still grow long-winded no you, but you have identified that people are at various parts of the spectrum right so and, and I think you sort of you're starting to answer this next question that I have about your approach to coaching people in the use of tech in education. So what do you use? What is, what is your approach and why do you take that approach? You know, I'm very relational. And I think my, the right answer would be, well, I follow Diane Sweeney's model of coaching. And I kind of do. And I also follow the approach of let me ask you a couple of questions and find out what really do you want so your time is used in a way that is valued and meaningful and your learners get what like you will end with a concrete something so you can use that in your instruction that day um, because really when it comes really ultimately, like I am a teacher and it, it doesn't seem like very long ago that I was also in the classroom and I call it in the trenches and, and I remember how challenging it was to juggle all of the requirements of real life teaching and have this additional ask be asked and pre-covid <laughs> remember like bc and 
<laughs> AC and BC, like pre-COVID and- foggy memories of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Post-COVID, like pre-COVID was um, a little bit different. There wasn't quite the sense of urgency of, you know, um, I really want to replace this sticky note thing that I did with my learners with a digital sticky note activity. But now there is that sense of urgency of, sure. I really want to meet my kids, my learners' needs. I want to make relationships in a virtual setting. I want to teach rigorous standards, or I want my standards to be taught in a way that's rigorous and grade level appropriate. Um, so how do I coach today is um, I meet with my people virtually, like we all do. And um, I ask them, what, what's your goal? What do you want? What do you want your students to do? And from there, it can go anywhere from me asking more questions of what do you think of, or how would you feel? Or um, I wonder, if you ever hear me say, I wonder, that means I probably have the answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not probably, I have the answer but I want you to hear it and you to feel it and you to think about it and you to think how it would work with your students. And then I have all of the structures and supports to make that idea, which is now your idea, come to fruition. It's so much better when somebody already comes with this desire, this inquiry, to want to improve on something really specific that, you know, like they already have self-identified and people know themselves really well. And that's why I love this answer that you just gave is because when people want to know something, they are going to be so much more receptive. They're going to enjoy, you know, learning about this particular topic because they already want to do so. Yeah. And by they, you mean our educators? Yeah. Our peers? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, you already started talking about this, like in this age of COVID and, and remote learning. Um, how has this changed your, your life in this world? You've already mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit, but I want you to dig a little bit deeper. Let the listeners know that, you know, what, what are some of these um, most common um, desires that you're seeing, needs that people have um, in order to make the remote learning situation better for them because like you said there is a sense of urgency now for people out there you know really when we put our educators in front of students whether it's behind a screen or in front of our educators in front of real life humans in the classroom we ultimately want to build relationships and make our learners feel success or provide opportunities for our learners to feel successful. So with that in mind, and maybe those aren't the only two mechanisms or features of a successful classroom, but I can tell you that the professional learning and the breakout sessions that I've been supporting these last three weeks has been mostly about how do we break the screen down and make our learners feel like they have 
this connection with us that's authentic and meaningful and in a way that builds that relationship. Um, and some days it feels insurmountable and overwhelming, but the teachers that I'm working with are masters at finding mechanisms to break down that digital, that screen and make our learners feel loved and welcomed and provide them with a way to be successful in this topsy-turvy world. So is it fair to say that right now the tools and the resources and, and the things that people are needing are more focused on building the communication and, and relationship aspect of things than say back BF BC, um, before COVID, BP. yes. <laughs> oh, BC, yeah, BC, COVID. Um, B-pandemic is the P, I was BP, yeah, BPBC. Um, when maybe there, that need wasn't there because, you know, there was the human face-to-face -face interaction and maybe the, the tech support that, the, the tools, the resources um, were more focused on other aspects of things? Mm. Maybe. I also, I mean, beside the word Google, I don't think I've mentioned a tool because I don't think that is the secret sauce to digital coaching. Digital coaching is just plain old good instruction. Um, I think that there's no one, like if you, again, if you were to line up a hundred teachers that had pre-COVID classrooms, there was no science to building relationships with kids. Now, of course, as an, you know, as an administrator, you provide your teachers with ways that you could build relationships with students and hope that when they go into their classroom and close the door, that they are using some of those skills and strategies to build relationships. And I think the same is true behind the screen. Like we have to find a way to use the art of teaching, not the science of teaching, to make our learners feel loved and welcomed and encourage them to keep clicking on that Zoom meet or the Google Meets meet and join the discussion because they are valued and loved and important to us. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what teaching is so just translating the good strongest teaching strategies that we mm -hmm. have known to love and, and embrace but just putting it into a different modality and that's really what we've been doing even pre-covid like we've just we've tried to adapt and overcome right like and make learning meaningful for our kids robbie there are so many tools out there there i get emails all the time you know how do you sift through um you know the the digital tools the resources um that can have the most impact and the most value in a classroom you know um i think when i was in college my grandmother would write me little letters and she would write on the outside of the envelope and she would write sealed with a kiss and then kiss has developed into something else for me which is keep it simple 
stupid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, are there a ton of shiny tools that could make a teacher's life easier? Yeah. Are there a lot of really smart educators that have gotten into the field of finding their niche or niche market of saying, oh, all teachers are transferring grades from Google Classroom to Infinite Campus. I know how to write code or work magic and take that away from teachers. I can use, I can create an app or an extension to make that easier for teachers. Yes. And damn it, I wish I could think of something. Like, where's that niche market so I can, you know, retire and (laughs) become a millionaire? But not on the back of teachers. So, yeah, could I list my 15 top tools? For sure. But I'd also like to consider, let's get really smarter about the tools that we have and let's get much better at using the tools that are underneath our fingertips on the keyboard right now. So that means Google. Like, let's talk about Google Docs. Could we have our learners communicating in a collab, or could we have our learners just communicating in a Google Doc? Of course. Like, that's one of our long-term goals, right? This is one of the 21st century skills. We want our learners to communicate, collaborate, think critically, and be creative. All of our tools within the Microsoft or Google platform allow our learners to communicate. They allow our learners to think critically. And for the podcast audience, I'm touching my third finger because that's where creative or critical thinking lands. We can use our Google tools to increase collaboration by sharing um, the documents or the you know, the sheet or the slide deck within the Google platform. You have another question on your tip of your tongue? Well, I just, I wanted to know, what is it about Google? Like, why is Google sort of like, this is true for me as well, the go-to place, the go-to strategy um, to make sure that you are enhancing this aspect of, of an educational experience? What is it about Google? I don't know, man. They have some uh, pretty smart engineers um, that make their products so user-friendly and intuitive that even the most reticent can be successful. And they've also done things that are just so super smart, like Hey, if there's any Google product people listening, like, yeah, I would sell my kids into slavery to go work for Google. Maybe not slavery, but, you know, I'd way, work th- out a deal. This podcast is not yet being sponsored by Google, but I'm, I'm hoping maybe next step. But some point, right, right. <laughs> like, if we could just send this out to Google, just let them know, like, yes, uh, I'll and come you, work for you. If you, you really need us to, you know, yeah. you know, feel your success. Yeah. yeah. That they have... You know, they probably have brought in real live users that have just said, well, this doesn't make sense, right? Or like, how can we make this easier or more intuitive? And they've just broken it down in a way that 
that little plus that's always in the bottom right hand corner mm -hmm. always means the same thing mm -hmm. whether you're in sheets or slides or sites and like you can't get more intuitive than that and then somehow they are yep and they keep iterating and creating new and improving and you know what i think the secret with google is on the bottom left hand corner is always a question mark and if you click on that you can give them feedback and they listen i think eight years ago when google classroom was new to the scene we said we need to be able to co-facilitate a classroom and we just blew that question mark up and kept giving them that feedback they added that so i guess if this is one takeaway for our audience is provide them feedback because i really think they listen and it makes the products better for everybody and they probably have very advanced ways to listen and conglomerate the, all this feedback that they get on a daily basis yeah, like what are you talking about? The algorithms and all that crazy stuff? Yeah, the engineering languagey type of things. Like I don't understand whatsoever, but I'm sure they've figured out because you're right, 100%. They've figured out how to make things as user-friendly as possible, which mm -hmm. is why this is like 90% of what I do or what the go-to strategy that I use is like, well, how can we make the Google Doc or the Google Sheet or the Google Form uh, work for this situation right mm -hmm. exactly and not to say that there aren't a lot of other shiny tools that replicate some of the work that we do in Google mm -hmm. you know like Padlet is a perfect example or Flipgrid is a perfect example Flipgrid is a Microsoft product and thank you Microsoft for buying Flipgrid and keeping it free for teachers because it's an amazing tool um, for those who don't know Flipgrid, it's um, you are able to, teachers are able to create a video with your face and talking about building relationships. Our kids need to see our face in virtual settings. They need to hear our voices in virtual settings. And you ask them a question. Introduce yourself to the class or um, it's Monday. The warm up is, you know, whatever. What's your favorite color? Or What's something you saw in the news over the weekend that makes you say, hmm? And the learners in one click, by clicking one very super obvious green button, can record their answers. And it all lives in a very safe lockdown or very public, depending on how the teacher sets it up, environment for either your class to see or only for you to see. Um, so teachers, if you haven't clicked in Flipgrid, that's that's a good one. It's a big go-to for you. It's a, yeah, it's definitely a great tool. It sounds like it's really supportive for communication, collaboration purposes, like mm -hmm. the connection purposes. Do you have any other advice or strategies that you use to enhance the collaboration and communication skills for people while they're working from home or even in the classroom? I'd like to think that all of the professional learning that I do, I do in a way that's purposeful and um, what's it called? Like open market or open source mm -hmm. where everything that I do 
is stealable. Um, so I'm kind of answering your question, but I'm also letting you know that I, I think we as administrators and people who have the ability to coach others and to model what we're asking our teachers to do, that I set a super high expectation for myself to make sure that whenever I'm in front of a team of teachers or individual teacher or a whole group or like at some of the state conferences with 500 participants, I'm intentional about modeling instructional strategies that teachers are also doing. So what are some of the things that you have your teachers, what are their have to's? They have to post a learning objective. Sure, they have to make sure that they're embedding agendas um, yeah. on, like digitally right now so that there's links so that students can like easily access whatever assignments or resources or, or information that they need to for that given class period. So every professional learning that I do, I do that. If the school says I want an agenda with hyperlinks, then I will do that. And on the bottom of the slide, I may have a screencast that I've recorded that shows how to set up a table of contents, for example, in a slideshow so you can link the slides that are coming in, you know, that are coming down in, in the future of the slideshow. So it's, it's faster access. And I do that very purposefully because I think often our teachers will think, oh, well, I, I've done this. I've been around. I know it. Um, and I, I dare you to teach me something new, Robbie. I, like, good luck. I've done that. I'm, I'm, I'm a pro. Well, you are a pro, and I, I value your experience. Mm -hmm. At the same time, your administrator asked you to attend this professional learning, so I want to differentiate for you and make sure it's meaningful for you. And how do I do that? I can embed a slideshow with the hope that, fingers crossed, that they will see that as an instructional strategy that might work for them in the future. So every time I'm in front of teachers, I'll, I'll call that to their attention. Like, um, how many of you teach from a Google site? Maybe one hand will pop up. Well, I intentionally picked teaching from a Google site today because I want to model how you might teach this unit or this standard in a way that's meaningful and rigorous and grade level appropriate and also uses technology in one way, not the right way, but in one way that you could take and rip off and use tomorrow. And BT Dubs, I'm here every Tuesday, so come find me in the back room of the library or I'm in everybody's classroom so you see me a lot but just stop me and ask me those questions because I'm available I'm here to serve you you brought up some really good points there and one that I think I keep coming back to is that sort of like percentage of how you intake information and, and learn what are those best ways like you actually at this bottom of the pyramid which is like where you have the most success like that you learn 75 80% of what you what you teach you know ab above that period of uh, above that is more 
you learn 60% of when you discuss and talk, like how oh, much right, you right, engage right. with mm -hmm. this information. And so I wonder, have you ever tried to leverage the teaching of others from some of those other experts in your school so that they are empowered to give their expertise in some of these tech tools or strategies to other people? Right. So earlier, we talked about like, what is your chief obligation in your work? And I really feel it is my obligation to lift others up and provide them with a safe opportunity to try things. If that means I come in and I co-teach or we co-plan and you teach and I watch or whatever. So now I'm a veteran, air quote, veteran teacher, which means, you know, I'm, I've been in education since 1990 and um, I feel it's my obligation to share the mic. So when I see stellar practices, I use my phone, I quick video it um, with teacher permission, of course. I take a couple quick screenshots from their lesson plans or I'll take a picture of kids who are collaboratively working toward a super awesome project that their teachers have worked on. And like, for example, this summer, the district leadership asked my coaching team to provide summer professional learning that, um, thank you to my district, they paid teachers to attend summer learning over the, over the summer. And it was all around digital practices. Well, of course, like, ask me to teach a to topic, yes. Like, I've been around the block, I know I can, I can teach these but I can also work with you or with some of my newer teachers and provide them with support and opportunity to spread their voice in a way where they can be the experts and intentionally providing them a place where they can be successful and be the expert because they are badasses too, much more than I am because they're doing it in the classroom. So um, I think, you know, I think that's where I am right now in life too, with our pandemic and the Black Lives Matter and anti-racism and um, LGBTQAI plus communities is I am white and I am privileged and I am middle class or upper middle class and I have a voice and people listen to me. And I think it's my job now to use my middle class voice to knock on the door and then quickly get out of the way to let some of our other communities speak up. And um, the communities that historically have not had that voice that they need and yeah. deserve. Are groups that have been underserved or um, overlooked. Well, I'm glad you brought up state conferencing because you said that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Um, how do you stay up to date with all of this information and all of this plethora of new tools and technology that is on our forefront, in our landscape and available? 
what do these conferences look like that you go to? How do you sift through everything? Well, I think conferences are one way of staying upfront, right? But it's, again, it goes back to relationships, and that is just maintaining relationships with people that I think are badass and learning from them. Today is a perfect example. There is nothing stopping me from starting a podcast. And as you were clicking in your phone and getting ready to record, I'm like, I am going to do a podcast. I'm going to find a way to make that fit. And I know exactly the teacher that will do it with me. And we are going to make a podcast. So what is your idea for your podcast? I'm excited to have that an inspiration um, for this in a way. I don't know exactly what our niche will be, but it will definitely be student voices because I'm going to make sure that Mm -hmm. our kids are learning this tool because talk about real applicable skills that are 21st century that can turn into possible career right um but how do you how do i stay a front of this ever-changing technology i think um part of this being a badass air quotes is knowing that i'm not ever going to stay in front of it um i listen and learn I look at a lot of, I'm a member of a lot of um, groups and organizations, especially like our state level organization for technology in EDCO, um, who also just started their own podcast. Um, And I'm pretty connected with the people on the board and pretty connected with that organization. Um, But also I just kind of pay attention so like if you have a project that you want to do then i'm super excited to go do the research and make it fun and and while i'm doing that research i'm learning and trying new things my this podcast was sort of a an evolution from a previous podcast i just started as well a couple months ago where i'm interviewing our staff members to hear their stories to hear their learnings, to hear their backgrounds and the things that they've taken away like throughout their years in education, however long they may be, that may be. Hmm. And I think I got some feedback that people enjoyed hearing that and they mm-hmm. wanted to hear what people had to say and they wanted something broader. Like, have you thought about taking this more public? And, and then I started to think about all of like the amazing people such as yourself that I know that have such a wealth of information and who are trying to change our educational landscape in ways for the better that you know i wanted to bring together in sort of a space that is accessible for a lot of people so i think that the podcasting specifically as a technology tool that can enhance our communication strategies is one that still allows for that human connection to yeah take off and exist it definitely hits those four c's that we want all of our learners to get right communication collaboration critical thinking creativity it's all of it how about people who are resistant you know i've always been a rip the band-aid off or cannonball into the deep end kind of person so for me to accept 
change is not a problem. But I'm also a realist in that I remember and I know how hard our educators are working. So whenever I work with a teacher, whether they are self-described technophobes or, um, you know, wherever they are along that spectrum, I try to meet people with grace and kindness and acceptance in um, letting them be who they are and then building upon, upon that. And that's not really too, too hard because, you know, even like I just said a couple of the last question, like you can still learn about technology and, and making education better um, regardless of where you fall in the, how good I am at technology spectrum. Robbie, I could not agree anymore. Um, I've had experience working with a really wide variety of very passionate, very knowledgeable teachers that have gained immense experience like throughout their careers. And the last thing that I want to do is to come in and tell somebody else, you know, how they should be or what they should do differently. I'm always learning from other people and trying to find those spaces, those areas where we can take their knowledge and their understanding and their thinking and expand that throughout the rest of the school as well, as opposed to just living in their, their own walls or within their small group of people that may be within their particular sphere. I agree. I am optimistic that the leadership that I see in my district is very much about building up and looking at strengths and magnifying those strengths and sharing. Um, I think gone are the days of, you know, what did we call it? The the sandwich evaluation where like, here's a good thing, here's something to work on, and here's a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Like the trophy of you've done your, your observation, and so now you have another six months of me never being in your classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I think that our teachers are badasses, and they are there for a reason, they care, and they want to teach their content and they also want to create little humans, young humans that will, you know, flower, blossom or whatever into participants in this world. And I think our admin are in a good place where they can help those teachers identify their strengths and get better at what they're good at while shoring up the bottom at the same time. And there's some magic in that. It's, it's not something that you can take a course mm -hmm. and be good at this. Like there's a reason why I wouldn't have been a good digital learning coach 10 years ago, but I think I'm a decent digital learning coach now because I can envelop all of those life skills and experiences and be compassionate and provide grace in a soft place where teachers need that. What's been your best failure? 
Yeah, the best failure question is a tricky one for me because clearly I fail. We all fail, we're human, right? Um, but my, like, what am I working on today? I am working today to keep my passion from overspilling and messing up other people's shoes. Like, sometimes I get so involved in a specific need for my school that I will forget about the big picture and will sometimes, maybe often, make my bosses question, like, what in the world? Like, why is she going in this direction when clearly our path is, you know, wherever, due north? Um, I think while that may not be a failure, I look at my failures as opportunities to learn more about myself and make myself better. Um, I guess, I guess that's, that's, that's my answer is I'm just, I'm never going to stop advocating for others and being the voice of those who need their voices elevated and helping them be heard. Not being their voice, but maybe knocking on the door and allowing them access, helping them gain access so their voices can be heard. What advice do you have for humble badasses out there? <laughs> um, you know, I, my advice would be to maintain relationships, keep those that you love close, continue to fight the good fight, whatever your fight is. And it's way better to ask for forgiveness than it is for getting acceptance or approval. And that might be why I have some of those failures that I was alluding to <laughs> before, because yeah, like it's, it's okay to, to, to have passion and to be a badass. Robbie, it has been great catching up with you. It has been great picking your brain about your life and your world right now in this like crazy, crazy time. So topsy-turvy. And I really hope that our listeners also appreciate um, you and your advice and suggestions about, you know, technology and then digital, digital learning um, as much as I do. And thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. And if anybody from Google is listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Humble Badass Educators. Again, the biggest goal of this podcast is to share the transformative ideas of what can work in the world of education. So if you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to share a link to this episode with someone you think may also be interested in hearing these ideas. If you or someone you know is also a humble badass educator, I'd love to hear from you as I continue my quest in learning about the amazing things that are happening out there right now. Know that the term educator is not just school-based. An educator is anyone that helps another person learn. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Humble Badass Educators. 
Thanks for listening.